Amen. Thank you, guys. Outstanding. Well, I got to tell you, it's nice to go away, and it's also really nice to come home. And it was also really nice to come home and have you guys lead us, and thank you, Joe, for pinch hitting. It's a big deal. I haven't spoken to Greg lately, but the best of my knowledge, he continues to do well, but I think he's also ready and itching to get back. And uh, so, but I think you all can appreciate that, you know, how that goes and how those things in life happen. I hope he doesn't break the other ankle. And uh, I guess from our lips to God's ears and to his ankles, right? So anyway, it's, it's great to be back. And this morning, we want to talk about worship a little bit. And as you will look at the theme of the series, it's tough to see it on that little box, but it's This Is Us. And the whole idea of this is us is as we process through this, we're trying to ask and redefine and restate the reality of who we are and also in that context, who we're seeking to be. So as we wrestle through that journey, who are we? And then as we wrestle, who do we seek to be? Who do we desire to be as we interact with God, as we interact in our journey of faith in Christ? And so we're going to walk through some of those things over these next few weeks and today we want to talk about worship, and we got a sense of some of that aspect of worship already this morning, didn't we? It's great to lift up our hearts. It's wonderful to praise our, our, our Lord and to declare this amazingness and awesomeness of who he is. It's, it's great to have our hearts kind of taken to this place, taken to the spot where we can kind of set aside and set down those things that kind of hold on to us at different times and just kind of look at him and gaze on him and rejoice and celebrate in who he is and what he has done. It's amazing for that opportunity. But as we talk about things today, we're going to shift a little bit of our focus and shift a little bit of our perspective. Because sometimes and often as we talk about worship, we talk about that corporate component. We talk about what just was taking place in our midst. And we're talking about what should also still be continuing, even as we're gathered corporately. We, west, we will talk about the word, we'll wrestle through the word. But this is something that we do corporately. We're also going to shift a little bit and not talk so much of what we would do privately. Because privately, we should be worshiping our Lord too, shouldn't we? See, we should be gathering with the body of Christ. You know, people take that passage in Hebrews and they sometimes like to use it as a club that says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is, but exhort one another and so much the more as as you see the day approaching. The day is coming when Jesus is going to return. And so it's good for us corporately to be together, to encourage one another, to support one another, to celebrate and rejoice in the things that God is doing. It's also healthy when we are individually focusing in on our Lord and worshiping and we're talking to him and we're engaging with him and things in life. Because there's things that take place in a corporate setting as we worship the Lord, but there's also those things that take place in that quiet, private place as we worship the Lord. And so all of those things and all of those parts are really important. But I still want to kind of walk through and kind of talk about something that kind of weaves between those parts in life today. Because we're going to talk about how this gets engaged in life a little bit more and in the attitude, the motives, those things that underlie the celebration, those things that underlie the quiet praise, but still should flow through life. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump into it. Father, I want to say thank you so much for the time you've given us this morning to come to your word, to come together with the body of Christ and to celebrate the amazingness of who you are. And so, Father, as we take this time, as we engage with you and as we engage with your word, Father, we would ask that you would also, through your spirit, engage with us. Build into us, shape us, mold us after the image of Jesus, prod us, touch us, challenge us. So that, fathers, we engage in this journey of worshiping you and celebrating you, acknowledging you. Father, that you would be exalted, but that, Lord, also we would be more caught up into that journey. We would be more personally invested. We would be more personally, passionately connected to you 
and what you desire from us. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, I want to start with the first point, then we're going to jump right out there with that first point. You cannot worship someone you do not know. Do you understand that? You cannot worship someone you do not know. Now, you might be able to get emotional about an idea. You might be able to get emotional about a concept. You might be able to get engaged with a philosophy. But it's really tough to worship someone you do not know. You ever interact with someone and they talk to you about one of these people that they have kind of placed on a pedestal in their lives? And they, they have talked about this person in some of these glowing terms. They've reflected on this person in, in, in positive ways. And then you kind of come back to them at a later point in time. Sometimes it's probably a couple years later. There's probably a gap in time and you're interacting with them about this individual. And you, as you kind of come back, you say, so what do you still think about this individual? And all of a sudden, this person is no longer kind of on that pedestal. And you say, what happened? And they say, I started to get to know them. You know, they started to discover things about their life. They discovered to understand some of the idiosyncrasies or patterns. And and all of a sudden, what they thought they perceived, what they thought they understood, what they thought they admired and celebrated, started to turn out to be something different. And they no longer were on that elevated spot in their life. It's tough to worship God when you really don't take the time to get to know him. When you really don't take the time to get to understand him. And when you really don't have a relationship with him. It's tough. Because what you're really then celebrating, what you're really then rejoicing is a concept. It's an idea. And it's a concept and it's an idea that's vested and filled with the different pieces that you are putting into the equation but they are not necessarily things that actually reflect and come from who he is. And that's a big deal. Because sometimes people get whacked out and and lose their faith in a sense because as they quote-unquote worship God, they're worshiping their concept, their perception of who God is. But then as they start to delve into and discover who God is, they're starting to discover that what they perceived and what they wanted are two different things. I still remember a conversation I had. This is many years ago. I was in Pittsburgh. Our church was hosting a movie crew. And the the company that talked to us said, listen, we're shooting a movie locally. We would like to use your fellowship hall. We're going to have a bunch of extras in the fellowship hall, and we're going to have a bunch of people here. Uh, Ron Howard's brother was the person who was, quote, unquote, the star. Now, you guys remember who Ron Ron Howard's brother is? You don't. That's right. That gives you an idea of the caliber of the movie. So, but his brother was there. He was in a back room. He was in a nursery. He wasn't interacting with the rest of us peons. But I still remember sitting out front, and I was, I was with all these people because what you didn't know about this particular setting is my upstairs hallway for the house we were living entered into just behind the choir loft. So all these people that are in the fellowship hall through simple steps from about 20 steps could be walking down my upstairs hallway. I didn't think I wanted that, so I was kind of hanging out in the fellowship hall talking to people. But here's one of the things that just floored me at that point in time in my life. I had a conversation with a young woman, and, and in her conversation, she said, well, my God is. And she just started to describe what her God was going to be like. But here's the problem. She hadn't taken the time to actually ask What is God really like? She had created a framework and a structure of what she wanted God to be like, but she hadn't taken the time to actually find out what he was like. You can't worship God if you don't know 
who he is. If you don't know him. Now, Mark 12, we've looked at this, and we've looked at a couple things, a couple passages that we're going to look at today as we've talked through red letters, but I want you to go to Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. We're just going to hit this first part. It says, Jesus answered, listen, Israel. So remember when he was asked what is the greatest commandment, this is his reply. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You cannot be doing what Jesus just said to do if you do not know who you are worshiping. You can't do it. It is impossible. So to worship him with all your heart. So when you are giving someone your heart and you're saying, here is who I am. That's right, I almost lost it, right? Here I am. Uh, here, here's my whole heart. See, I've been, I'm out of practice. I've been gone for a couple of weeks. I lost where the, the edge of the stage was. Someone came to me one time and they said, I watched you and you caught your toes over the edge of the stage. Do you ever lose it? Well, apparently, periodically, I might. So I'll, I'll work my, get my balance back and my, my, my framework back, and I'll, and I'll hopefully not fall off the platform any further. So, but you, it's, it's tough. Are you going to give your heart to a stranger? Are you going to give your heart to someone that you don't know, that you don't understand? Are you going to give your heart to someone who's going to take it, rumple it up, stomp on it, beat it against the wall, hang it out and abuse it in front of all sorts of people, take it and throw away in the garbage. Are you going to do that with your heart? Are you, is that how you're going to give your heart to someone for? Are you going to do that? No. You, as we give our hearts to people, we do that over time as we start to get to know the people. We start to say, can I trust them? Will they, will they carry what I am placing in their hands with care? Will they carry what I'm placing in their hands with consideration? Will they carry what I'm placing in their hands with love and kindness? And we recognize that to, to discover that, we have to start to get to know the person. We have to start to understand the person. Because if we're going to give them our heart, we want to know that they're going to carry it well. And so as we choose to worship God with all of our heart, and we start to give him all of our heart, we start to give him all of our soul, all of that part of our being that we can't touch and feel, but we know is there. When we start to give him worship with our mind, it's tough to engage with someone where you don't think with them, when you don't understand them. This, it, this is when it comes just you're, you're, you're going to worship an overarching general idea. You're going to worship an overarching general concept. No. We start to think about who he is, the nature of his character, the substance of his history, the things he has done, the ways he has revealed himself. And we start to engage with him with our intellect. We start to kind of unpack. We start to wrestle through and we try to start to understand who he is and what makes him tick. We start to try to unpack and we start to try to understand how he is reacting to us and how he is interacting with us and why he is doing those things. See, we're being challenged to worship God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. It's tough to worship someone that we do not know. With all of our strength. The whole idea is using our energy, using our life, using the pathway of who we are to serve, to acknowledge, to love him. It's tough to worship when you don't know who you're worshiping, when you don't know what he is about, what, is he, what he has accomplished, and what he is seeking to do both around us and in us. See, worship is really personal. And here's what's amazing. Come back as we kind of get into the flow of things and 
uh, that kind of that worship component, that song component of the service where we're lifting our hearts. You know what's interesting to me? We are together corporately singing. We are together corporately lifting our hands in praise. And yet through that whole process, it's also intimately and significantly personal. We hear each other's voices. We hear the music and we feel the energy. We, we feel the momentum. And yet at the same time, there's a quickening. There's a, a process that's taking place on the inside of us as we are interacting with God, as he is interacting with us, as we're interacting with the words being sung, as we're interacting with the substance of his character and his being. And that process moves us. But that process, while it's corporate, it's also very personal. Because we know him and we understand him and we're trying to engage with him. So let me ask a question, a couple of questions. One, do you know Jesus? If you want to worship God, if you want to worship Jesus, you need to know him. Otherwise, you're just worshiping an idea. You're worshiping a concept. You're worshiping a philosophy. But you're not worshiping the person. You can't worship him if you really don't know him. And Scripture tells us how to know him. We come to that point where we, we put our trust in him, where we say, we say something along the lines of, Jesus, I want to trust you. You died on the cross for my sin. I want your forgiveness. You said you'd take away my sin to bring me into right relationship with the Father. I want that. And we start that journey. But then it goes beyond that. Then it goes to that journey of starting to learn, starting to grow, starting to work that process of starting to understand who God is and and how God operates. And we start to spend time in his word and starting to delve into his word. And so as you choose to worship God, you need to know him. And are you taking the time in your life to start to get to know him? interacting with him in the flow of life, understanding his word and and the promises of his word, the principles of his words, the values of his word. As God communicates to us what he desires of us and how he wants us to function in the world that exists around us. See, it's really important that we know him. Now, I'm going to use an illustration that most of you can appreciate. Some of you may not, but most of you can. I met Joan 35 years ago. Just about 35 years ago now. In truth, I met Joan, and I said to myself, when as I met her in the hallway at the church down in Clayton, I said to myself, Andrew, I think you're going to like it here. Exactly what I said to myself. I didn't know a year later I'd marry her. But it took us a little bit of time to decide that we wanted to get married. That didn't happen right away. It happened kind of quickly because we were both older at this point, but it didn't happen right away. Now, I love Joan now way more than I did when I got married because when I got married, I was still in love with some concepts and ideas of what I thought being married was and what who Joan was. Same thing probably with her towards me. But then over time, some of the veneer gets peeled away and the reality of the person is continues to come forward. I don't know about you, but if you were married, the first year of our married life was very interesting. There were some significant challenges. Why? As we started to get to know each other, we started to get to understand each other as we learned what it meant to live life with each other. But also in that journey, I continued to fall more and more in love with her. Why? Because I continued to get to know her more and more and more. Because she continued to give me her heart more and more and more. And also then as I gave her, continued to give her my heart more and more. She cared for it. She loved it. As I continued to give her my life, she cared for it and loved it. And just as she cared, gave me her life, I cared for it and loved it. And so that journey of, of choosing to enter into engagement with one another and choosing to get to know each other, not just 
on the surface and, and, and not just in the initial stages of marriage, but now really starting to figure out how you really do life together. And see, what God is looking for us to do is kind of like that. He wants to really do life with us. And in that journey, he wants us to really learn what it means to love him more and more and more. Because he is not just interested in a dating relationship. He's not just interested in the honeymoon. He's interested in year two, year five, year ten, year sixty. And he wants to see that relationship deepen and grow. And that only happens, and that worship can really only continue as we choose to know him and to be known. So the first thing as we talk about worship, I really want you to wrestle through and understand that if you are going to worship the Lord, you cannot worship someone you do not know. You need to know him, and you need to be committed to that process of continuing to know him and delving into that relationship so that you can be continually transformed. Leads us to the second point. Worship means engaging with the subject of your worship. If you're going to worship God, you need to engage him. This is not a non-contact sport. This is not passive activity. We need to be willing to engage God in our worship. We need to be willing to engage with him in the process of life and worship. It's not passive. It's active. Now, I'm going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount for some of this stuff. And I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to kind of walk through some areas. And I want, I want to hit a couple of things first. In this whole conversation, Jesus talks about the hypocrites. So one of the things I want to ask you is this. Were the hypocrites worshiping? Listen as I read. So chapter Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Next verse. So whenever you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So they were giving and they were being generous. They, they kind of put money in the offering plate in a sense as it came by, but as they did it, they were like, everybody! I want you to see the check I'm writing. Do you see that needy person over there? I see them and I'm going to do something. And Jesus says, you see those guys? Don't do that. Now, were they worshiping or not? Nope. They weren't. Maybe they thought they were, but they weren't worshiping. They were auditioning for the crowd. They weren't doing anything for the Lord. It was all for them. How about the next one? Look at verse 5. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. Now, Connor's going to unpack this a little bit more in a couple of weeks. Oh, God! Now, I'm going to be gracious. I think he's going now, so I'll say this. As a teenager, I attended a a church in, in our community and the pastor would pray. It was crazy. He would stand up and pray, Oh God, our Father. And he would kind of do all that kind of highfalutin kind of stuff. It wasn't anywhere close to how he talked. <laughs> it wasn't language he used. It wasn't the tone and the inflection he would use. It was something totally different. Who 
Who's the audience? Who is the audience? For the hypocrites, the audience was not God. It was not God. They wanted to present like they're praying, but they really weren't praying because God was not the audience. How about this next one? Drop down to verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Don't you love this? These guys were putting on makeup to make sure everyone knew the hollowness of their cheeks and the echo this, you know, the hollowness of their eyes. Oh, I've been fasting. I'm so righteous. Who are they fasting for? Not for the Lord. Not for engagement with the Lord. They had a different audience. That is not worship. You see, y'all, y'all thought guys wearing makeup now was more of a modern invention. It's not. It's been around a long time. Long time. So let's walk through. How do we engage? How do we engage in worship? So in a context and in contrast and intention with what we see these guys doing, let's walk through those verses that you have there. So we have verses 3 and 4. Just listen to what verses 3 and 4 say. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Now, how many of you usually have your left hand, well, I have to be careful, have your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Most of us do. In fact, so often we do it instinctively. But Jesus is teaching, saying, listen, this is how you engage in worship with me. You don't let this hand know what this hand is doing. So when you're writing the check with this hand, this hand has no clue. As this hand is dropping it in the offering plate, this hand is confused and baffled as to what's going on. But God will see because you're now not doing this. You're giving and you're showing generosity not because you're interested in the show and not because you're interested in other people seeing and responding, but you're interested in the audience of one because you're not doing it for you. You're doing it to bring glory and honor and worship to the Lord. See, that internal working of God now in our lives, that worship that's taking place where the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing or the right hand the left, but we're worshiping, we're celebrating this amazing God. And we're giving back and saying thank you. And we're helping those in need and saying thank you. But it's not for the audience. It's for God alone. Let's go to the next one. Look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, it's not the public display. It's not the public demonstration. It's not, hey, everybody, I'm doing well. Hey, what's on your prayer list? Can I tell you what's on my prayer list? No, it's learning to quietly go and meet with God and have conversations with God. And this is when we have, you know, these are also those times that we can really have those real conversations with God. Because in these real conversations with God, we can say, okay, God, this is what's really annoying me. God, this is the stuff that's going on in my life. God, these are the things that I'm wrestling with. God, these are the things that are concerned to me. And we start to get to have the opportunity to kind of put the real issues of life down on the, on the table. We get have the chance to really engage with God on the real issues of life. And we get to really have a real conversation. And because we have taken the time now to get to really know God and to really start to understand God, we can really have a conversation because 
because we have ideas of what he might say, things he might suggest. We go to his word, we hear the lessons from his word, and we start to walk through these things, process through these things, and we start to come out of this conversation with God, starting to understand better and better and better what it means to walk with him. We start to better be able to align our lives and the prayers of our lives with the things that we know he's wanting us to do. But what happens in all this process, God says, you do that stuff in private. You make that stuff just a conversation between me and you. And in time, the fruit of that is going to manifest. It'll bear out. But that's between me and you. It's not for public display. This is about personal intimacy and personal conversation. An interesting thing happened when I got married. I would come home, Joan would come home, and she would say, how was your day? And I would answer, good. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and what would proceed at that point would be, yes, a series of questions. But then I learned that I also should say, how was your day? And for the next half hour, (laughs) Joan would tell me about her day. Now, that's not bad and that's not wrong. I learned something important for my wife in this process. So much of our relationship and so much of the foundations of who we are together has been captured And just some of those simple conversations that we would start to have as we would start to say, how was your day? It was really just the spending of time together, listening and hearing. And so much more took place in those simple conversations than just finding out how your day went. It was interesting. A couple of years after we got married, we were over at her job, at her business, and we were... I would come at the end of Joan's day and she would clean my teeth because she's a dental hygienist and she would clean my teeth and so then I didn't have to pay for it either because it was at the end of her day. It wasn't in the flow of the day. So I'm Scottish. I'm kind of cheap. And um, so that all worked. And one day after I was there, you know, I would show up and Joan would have to clean things up and get things organized because... She was finishing her day, and she was going to clean my teeth, but then she would have to have things laid out and ready to go for the next day. And one day, her boss came to her after, we had been, after I had been there, and he said to her, kind of amazed, because people are listening sometimes, and you don't realize people are listening. You guys, you guys were talking. It was like you're just friends. Now, isn't that nuts? that a married person would say to another married person, it's like you're just friends with your spouse. But see, that's what it is. But it's it's at a different level of friendship and and then maybe other friends I'm going to have. I don't kiss other friends. (laughs) But at the deepest part of the whole process, it's about friendship. It's about intimacy. It's about a shared life. And just taking the time to interact, to listen. And that's what God wants with us. That's what God desires from us, and that's worship. Taking time to listen, taking time to hear. We then can move on kind of into that heart where Jesus teaches the disciples to pray. And again, what's taking place? Jesus is asking the disciples, and the challenge here is to engage. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. And he doesn't say, repeat this prayer after me, because later on he says, don't pray like the Gentiles do who just utter a bunch of words. So the whole idea here is not that just we have this repetitive prayer that we repeat. Now, did any of you grow up in a context and in a framework where maybe we quoted the Apostles' Creed or at the flow in the service at some point we said, and the pastor would pray or the priest would pray, and then all of us would finish with our Father who art in heaven, and the whole place would, would quote the Lord's Prayer, amen. And then we would go on to the next 
next part. Well, we're not being given a prayer just to recite because we should recite it. We're given a pattern, an example of something we can learn from, but then we can also expand on and grow on in our journey. But we start out recognizing he is holy. Excuse me. God wants us to acknowledge that he is holy. Excuse me, that changes us, doesn't it? Because that starts to change us. Because when we start to engage with God and we know he's holy, invariably there, there is a mirror there that kind of reflects back to us. And we're engaging with God's holiness and then we wrestle with ours. What did Isaiah say when he saw God? He said, whoa, whoa, was me. I'm a man of unclean lips among a bunch of people of unclean lips. I'm in deep weeds here because I'm in the presence of God and I'm about to get zapped. Now, he didn't get zapped. God's gracious and God had a mission for him, but, but he saw the reality of himself. But God is holy. We should be engaging in the reality of the holiness of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What are we doing as we engage with that? God, I want what's important to you to take place in the world around us. God, I want what's important to you to take place in the context of my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done. There's a shift that's taking place in this whole knowing God and understanding God and engaging with God. God, do stuff in me. And we start to ask God to bring about transformation in people's hearts, transformation in people's lives, transformation in me. And we start to have honest conversations about the things that are going on because it goes on. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We acknowledge that he provides for us. Give us today our daily bread. We recognize where our stuff really comes from. Our stuff really doesn't come from our employer. It comes from God. It's from the graciousness and the goodness of God. And we're learning to recognize it so we were talking about gas. Where does gas come from? It comes from the ground. Who made it? God. We can build a turbine. Now, where did the intellect come to build a turbine? God gave us brains at work. Oh, and by the way, who's making the wind blow? God. And we have these wires and that kind of stuff that we run, we hang from poles, or we bury in the ground. What is that stuff made of? Do you guys remember what that stuff might be made of? What kind of metal? Copper. Where does copper come from? The ground! So much of this stuff, come, you look at all this stuff, it comes from God. And we want to say it in all these things, well, I did it, I built it, I shaped it. It's kind of like that old joke between God and atheists. And they're going to have a competition, and they're going to fashion and create. And so God does something over here, it's really cool. Then the atheists get their pile of dirt, and they start to work on the dirt. And God said, no, 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 you've got to start with nothing. God is the one who made it. He's the one who fashioned it. He's the one who put stuff together. He's the one who designed it. It all comes from God. And so that attitude, that mindset as we enter into pray, we recognize God is the one who has provided. But we're not done. Because we're going to come back to what we were talking about with his righteousness and his kingdom come. And we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And there's that recognition of our neediness. That recognition of our brokenness. That recognition that we need God to intervene in our lives and that transparency that starts to take place about where my flaws are and God's righteousness is, where my deficiencies are and where God's answers are, where my sinfulness is and where repentance and transformation needs to happen. It's all part of that worship of prayer. It's all part of that conversation that should take place. And then that great statement, and don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
God, I don't want to go down that path. There's a part of me that desires and that kind of wants and wants to cheat and wants to hedge and and wants to give space and, and wants to entertain those things. But God, I'm recognizing that those things really don't honor you because you're holy. That's one of the things, again, we've prayed already. We've had a conversation with God about his holiness. And so, God, I don't want to go in that direction. I know it's not healthy. I know it's not good. So, God... Even though that sinful desire is in me, God, I'm going to ask you to put a hedge around me. I'm going to ask you to put a guard around me. I'm going to ask you to help direct my path and and navigate my journey so I don't go down that pathway. And all of this is that conversation of engaging with God. And I would suggest to you that all of this is connected to these issues of worship, of engaging with God. And all these things are going on and all these things are happening because we're continuing to learn to get to know and understand who God is. And as again, as we continue to get to know and understand who God is, and as we continue continue to pray, as we continue to talk, all that slurry of understanding, all of that kind of soup of experience, we start to pull things out of that whole thing, we start to understand, we start to see pieces, we start to see understanding, we continue to want to be changed and transformed and to walk better and better and better with God. And that conversation with God continues, and it's not a public conversation, it's a personal conversation. And the amazing stuff is that as we come out of that personal conversation, amazing things get seen in our lives, and amazing things get transformed in our lives, and people look and they watch and say, whoa, what's been happening to you? And you go, it's Jesus. Why? Because God is at work. And we're engaging with him. We're getting to know him, and as we're engaging, we're letting him work in us and shape in us and build in us. And make us better than what we were. It goes on. Verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their offense, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But again, the challenge is, but if you don't forgive others, your Father won't forgive your offense. But then the transformation process that's going on, isn't it? Because now we're choosing to interact with others differently. Right? Because we're getting on knowledge and understanding, and this is about worship. These are worship issues. These are engagement with Jesus issues. 17 and 18. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to but to your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward you. The amazing thing is going on. So we have these things that really weigh on our lives at times, and these things that press upon us, and we don't just take some personal time in our closet to pray. We start to take some time to fast. We say, okay, I'm going to skip a few meals. I'm going I'm to I'm not feed this body because I want to be hungry. I want my stomach to go, so as my stomach grumbles, as my stomach complains, as I, I feel that discomfort, I'm reminded to pray. I'm reminded to have a conversation with God. And I choose then to engage God in this conversation. And so as I have these particularly weighty things on my life, I cry out to God and I talk to God about these things. And I really seriously, in a more heightened way, bring these to the attention of God. That's worship. But it's flowing out of that relationship. And it's flowing out of that choice to engage with him and to know him and to be known, to build relationship and have community with him. Verses 19 and 20, or 19 to 24. A whole conversation again about money and resources. But how we use our money, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in. I like Chase, but they're closing that branch. To have a couple more I can go to, but well, I know something, money can disappear from there. And what's crazy now is a guy doesn't show up with a mask and a gun, he just shows up on a computer screen. All that stuff can disappear. But store from yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Man, I got to tell you, the firewall in heaven is amazing. No one's breaking through. And no one's going to get in there with a crowbar or a sledgehammer or a 45 to empty the vaults of heaven. They're secure. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is the darkness? Again, the, the whole issue of what are you letting in your life? And then he goes on, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And again, that whole tension of worship and that tension of who you're going to choose to engage with and what you're going to do with that engagement. Now, you need to be engaged with God, allowing him to speak allowing him to work. I'm going to pick on my wife in our relationship again. So, 34 years ago we got married. She got a gem. That was really flawed. What's, what's amazing and wonderful, over 34 years, the imperfections get worked on. The flaws get worked on. Why? Because she tells me, but I'm also willing to engage. Why? Because I love her and because I want a relationship with her. Because she is important to me. Because I have given her my heart. I have given her my being and she has carried it well. She has done the same with me. And God does that same stuff with us. We are flawed individuals. We're flawed people. What does God do? He, he, he speaks into our lives. He challenges us. He encourages us. And he helps us to learn to be transformed men and women. But that only happens when we choose to engage with him in that journey of transformation. And I would suggest to you very strongly that engagement in that journey of transformation is all about worship. It's all about praising him. It's all about acknowledging him. It's all about knowing him. It's all about walking with him on a regular, consistent basis. It's worship. Here's a third point. We should pursue the reward of worship. We should pursue the reward. Three times this statement is made in these verses. Verses 4, go ahead, throw it up there. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's for that long line that's right there. Look at verse 6. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. How about verse 18? And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, can I tell you something? We're not being spiritual. And we're not being really honest. We said, no, 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 I don't need the reward. No, 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 I, 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 don't, I don't need the reward, God. I don't desire the reward. No, 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 that's okay. Three times. Three times. He talks about the reward of walking with him, of knowing him. And can I tell you, you want the reward. You desire the reward. You hunger for the reward. Because the reward is getting to know him, and the reward is getting to be known. The reward is having a relationship that meets the deep components of our heart and soul. The reward is experiencing a transformed life that progressively over time gets reshaped and remade, not so that it reflects our culture, not so that it reflects our world, but so that it reflects the character and the nature and the glory and honor of who God is. We want the reward because the reward is awesome. It's not just I get to go to heaven someday and I don't have to go to hell. I mean, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm really glad I'm going to heaven someday and I put my faith and trust in Jesus and I need to know Jesus. And if you don't want to go to that place that burns and is dark and is terrible and horrible and disgusting and no one should be there, then you should be putting your faith and trust in Jesus because I believe that place of hell is a very real place. But I also want to say to you that there, should, there is so much more to pursue in your relationship with Jesus than just saying, I'm not going to hell. 
And that, again, is that whole component of worship. It's that whole component of engaging with God, knowing Him, and allowing Him to shape us and change us and transform us. Because these are, there are these amazing rewards. There are, are these amazing things that God wants to shovel into our lives and, and plant in our lives and see grow and blossom in our lives. And if we take the time and allow Him to do that, if we take the time of relationship and allow these things to happen, amazing things can happen in our lives. There is amazing, amazing reward. And it's the fruit of that worship of who God is. If you'll engage, if you choose to know him, amazing things can happen. You want the reward. It's like catching a bad guy. $150,000 reward. Oh, no, I don't need that. I don't want to pay off my house. Don't want a new car. I don't need another set of clothes. No, I don't want to retire early. No, I don't want any of that stuff. Fooey. The rewards are great. And the reward that Jesus gives is way better than the rewards our world gives. One last verse. And you see it there. Gesundheit. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Excuse me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Pause for a second. You see this again? It's a conditional statement. There's a therefore there, which looks backwards. But he tells us what we're looking at. We're seeing these amazing mercies of God. What is Paul doing? In the earlier chapters of Roman, he's helping us to know who God is. He's helping us to know who Jesus is and why he was important and what God's plan and what God's agenda was. He's unveiling some amazing understanding of of Jesus and the gospel. He's helping us to know who it is we're worshiping. And then he says in verse 12, verse 1, Therefore, in light of now starting to know, now, therefore, in light of starting to understand, now, therefore, in light of starting to have a framework and a context in which to wrestle through and understand the things of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, why Jesus has come, and why you should be putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Now, in light of all of those things, I urge you to offer yourselves as living sacrifices which are holy and pleasing to God. That's worship. Sacrifices were the act of worship in the Old Testament. Everyone in this culture understood what it meant to offer a sacrifice. It was to engage in the worship of the one you were offering the sacrifice to. Engage and worship. Living on the altar is an act of worship. And then the next part of the verse, verse 2. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And you should hear reward echoing in your ear because it's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. Now, I want to give a life example. I'm reading a book by John Cooper. He's the lead singer for the Christian music band Skillet. He's written a book recently about a year ago Um, probably less than a year ago. If you don't like rock and roll, you probably shouldn't listen to Skillet. 
But if you do like rock and roll, you can listen to Skillet and you'll enjoy it. But the book he's written also helps you to understand and know that just because he's a rock and roll singer and a rock and roll musician, there is not space between his ears and there is not emptiness in his heart, but rather there is good intellect and good thinking in his ear, in his head, and there's a real love for God in his heart. So let me read what he wrote, because this, this little book, just to lay context, he's frustrated and annoyed at the many high-profile individuals who've kind of said they're going to walk away from their relationship with Jesus over these last couple of years. We're going to do a series on some of these things end of October going into November. And he's frustrated. He's right, I would say he's righteously angry and he's speaking out against it and he's trying to say things in that direction, help people process through and work through. But he talks about his own journey here. And I think what he's talking about is that journey of what it means to live in that context of worship with his life, just as each of us should be doing. This is after a concert. He was an opening act for two well-known secular bands at this point in time. The alley was getting busier by the minute. There were agents, managers, a few famous professional athletes, a couple of record label executives made their way through the crowd. There were radio DJs, playlist programmers, and an entourage of women came dressed less for bowling and more for Maxim shoot. The guy who had called me over was an agent who had booked the show. He introduced me to the promoter and another music business mover and shaker. John, no one else is going to say it. So here it goes. You guys are hot right now. And everybody knows it. You've got the songs. You've got the sound. You've got the look. In fact, your whole band has the look. You've got the show. You've got this uber positivity. And rock radio is starting to look for positivity. Bands are trying to fake it. But you already have it. You've got the personality. You've got this spiritual thing going on. And rock fans are starting to crave that too. This is your moment. It's time to strike. He said, we had been a band for 14 years and scraped and fought just to pay the bills. And I certainly didn't think any music industry types knew my name. Was this real? In that moment, all my dreams came back into focus. All those hours of watching music videos as a kid and pretending that I was a rock star. All those air hours practicing the piano, practicing the car, practicing the bass, practicing my singing, and I love this part, and practicing headbanging. It's all practice as you see it. The years of my life, packing gear and getting up sound and, and setting up sound systems, playing for people, uh, playing for a couple of dozen people, shaking hands and taking photos after the show, tearing down all that gear and packing it into the trailer just to drive my van all night to the next city. All of it was about to pay off. You know what I'm saying, right, John? He said, pulling me back into the moment. It's time to strike. I nodded and said something to the effect of, uh, yeah, man, awesome. Then he looked at me and put it straight. Bro, I'm just going to say it because you need to hear it. Skillet could be the biggest rock band in the world. But dude, you have to stop talking about Jesus. Silence. Not just talking about him. You need to disassociate from your Christian music history. Stop playing Christian shows. Stop doing Christian radio interviews. People just don't take it seriously. The spiritual thing, the positive thing, that's really powerful stuff. But the Jesus stuff hurts your band. I'm just telling you, bro. He wasn't suggesting, he goes on a little bit later, he wasn't suggesting I give up my faith, of course. In fact, he explained that if I focused my Christianity on secular aspects of faith rather than on Jesus himself, I actually would be successful on multiple fronts. I would win favor from the rock world. Everyone respects Bono, he said. Simultaneously, I would be showing the love of Christ in action rather than words. 
Besides, he said, if I were to live my faith without proselytizing, and if we were to achieve mainstream popularity as a result, wouldn't it bring more attention to my faith in Jesus? John, he says, as a final argument, think of how many people you can help in this world if you are rich and famous. Here's his next line. Sometimes lies sound eerily similar to the truth. Sometimes you want something so badly that you cannot trust yourself to even know the difference. Why would God give me these dreams if he did not want me to chase him? Why would he give me this talent? He then went home to his trailer and had a conversation with his wife. The next morning, and it's it's Corey, the next morning Corey and I talked about it. By noon that day, my decision was made. I could not stop talking about Jesus. I could not stop sharing the faith. He says this, I wonder what my life would be like had I taken his advice. I may have had an an even more successful music career. But then he asked this question, but what would it have cost me? We may not be a guy like John Cooper who stand on a threshold of an amazing music career. But every day we stand on a threshold of life and we're being asked, do you want to worship Jesus today? Or do you want to worship something else? How are you going to live today What are going to be your priorities today? What are you going to give your energy and focus and passion to today? This is where worship is. This is where worship happens. Let's pray. Father, I just thank for each of us as we walk this journey, and Father, as we try to figure out what it means to know you and what it means to be transformed by you and really, Father, what it means to worship you. Father, I would ask that you'd be at work in us, building the substance and the character of Jesus into us. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.